This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I've started rereading Misery. Our book of the month, yes. Rumi will give you details on that later on, ladies and gentlemen, kind of uh, get you tweaked up because we'd love you to be joining us to, to talk about it as uh, we do on the last Tuesday of the month, our book club, but we'll give you all the details on that as well, Ramya, a giveaway. Mm-hmm. When we launched the show, we were blessed to be able to be involved in launching as well a fantastic giveaway. We will fill you in on how you can be a part of uh, registering for the potential giveaway uh, to you. The potential. There's always potential, but as long as you get in the game. And we'll share that information, how you can do that a little later on in the program. Kelly McDonald, I'm at the home studio, London, Ontario, with Ramya Muthan at the studio in Toronto. So much time. We have until February 8th for the contest, so so much time for that opportunity, the chance yeah. to win. And also so much time with the book because this book was actually announced in December, so two months going on um, before we actually Actually November. Yeah, end of November. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, just saying. Yeah. Got no excuse. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't mean we won't <laughs> cram in rereading. Obviously not. It, no. Right? We always cram uh-huh. in the last couple of weeks, but still, maybe somebody else started a long time ago. Let's talk to um, a guest on the show, and this is going to be an important conversation. I think we're learning a lot about initiatives uh, to help each other out in community building and just being aware of things going on around the world. Tracy Burton is the founder of Canadians Care, and this is an organization that's raised $100 million worth of pharmaceuticals and medical supplies for Ukraine and everything that goes on there. Um, it's so important that we from Canada do our best to help and support. So let's talk to Tracy about the work that she's doing to help the people in Ukraine out. Tracy, thank you for coming on, Kelly and Ramya. Thanks for having me, Kelly and Ramya. Hi. Hi. Nice to meet from you. From Florida. Here I am. Oh, amazing. Okay, so we're getting international already. Can you tell you us bet. about <laughs> Canadians Care, Tracy? Let's talk about what the organization is. Sure. Um, It's an organization that I started with two of my friends during COVID when they shut down restaurants. Well, all of us really, but our rest, our local restaurants in Unionville and Markham, that's where I reside, uh, were really struggling and um, they've always helped us uh, help our kids and throw programs and give us discounts when we bring them in. And um, we couldn't have asked for more help. So we thought maybe if we work together, we could do something to help them stay alive uh, through this virus, through this big shutdown. And uh, what we came up with was asking people for money and then putting it all together and then doing something great with that. And that And then it got rolling just a little bit bigger by saying, you know, sometimes when you give people something, it's, it, it uh, disempowers them if they don't get to decide how it gets used or where it gets used, or if they can be a bigger part of it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So we offered them, I had a little connection with Ellis packaging. They made me a package, 10,000 packages, actually lunch boxes. And then we offered up all of our local restaurants that were available, knocking on doors, calling everyone. Um, Could you make me a lunch? And then with that lunch, you can help us 
by giving support to our local hospitals and nursing homes, um, all the staff, and we can feed them. So that's what we did. We, oh, it was amazing. We started with about 30 lunches uh, every Thursday, and we ended up with 1,600 lunches being made a week, four o'clock in the morning. We'd pick them up at 11, we'd shuffle them off, and we had our restauranters, we paid them, uh, I mean, they make a meal for us in the box I supplied for $5 a meal, and we would pay them $25 a meal. So that would either pay their staff or pay their rent or pay their mortgage. Mm. So, and you had opportunities as often as we could do it, which was weekly. Um, we raised over $150,000 in a very short period of time, six weeks, and we used every penny. We had all of our cutlery donated, all of our cookies donated, our drinks donated, and then the food, all the different restaurants um, that we were able to use, which was about 12 of them in our neighborhood, uh, we helped them out monthly until the government could kick, kick in. So wow. that's how we started. That was, and that was just an idea um, from a bunch of bombs that go there, go to these, we, we frequent restaurants in our neighborhood and it's such a community team event. Exactly. And they'd all put that together. And because of COVID, we couldn't go into the restaurants to help, nor could right. we deliver in the hospital. We couldn't go into the nursing homes. We couldn't go into the hospitals. So what we did is we had teams, we had the village grocer donated their cold truck. And every Thursday we would go and pick up the meals from the restaurants. Then we'd have lines of people standing. You remember our um, three meters apart, seven mm -hmm. feet apart, yep. we hand our meals off in boxes, load up the trucks, get to the, to the hospital or to the nursing home. And then we'd have lines giving it out. So no one came in contact with each other. We just left it all there, said thank you in a yummy, delicious way and then made everybody feel good and that's where our canadian care sign came from i'm a hugger i'm a toucher and i know sometimes you shouldn't be but that's who i am naturally so we have a stick man hugging a big red heart and um and we're all canadians so we care like that's yeah. that's where canadian, yeah. canadian the, that power of hugs tracy and and just being like you said caring long as people are okay you know and you check in with them okay but the most here is what for me what massive organization on, on the behalf of all of you and being able to adjust with the time, with what mm. we were hearing. And, and sometimes those times changed week to week to week with what uh. we were able to do under restrictions and that. And all of you as a team, uh, that sounds like it must have become a fairly large team uh, that, that, that had to put this into play. And I'm talking from meal making to delivering to standing out in the cold wind and rain and so on to make sure things were safe and picked up by those who who you couldn't get too close to. Um, that coordination itself, who do we give that credit to and Fedora's off to because that's phenomenal alone? Well, I would say that was myself. Um, at the time, my friends Andrew Inarski and Anita Singchetti, the three of us were the organizers. Um, Andrea was online doing all the paperwork um, and sometimes she and Anita would come and help. And then all the people moving, people putting, food making, that was me. Um, oh, restaurant man. volunteering. I'm kind of the coordinator. I do a few things. And Kelly, um, you know, I see you, you're visually impaired. I work, I've five years, I've thrown a little party for the CNIB up in uh, Muskoka as well uh, with a few of my other friends. And we've made, we've re revitalized the camp. It's gorgeous. 
it offers so many opportunities for like the visual. Joe we're talking about. Uh, we're talking Joe. Lake Joe. Yep. That's right. Yep. It, yep. It's brand new, new boathouse, new boats, um, new lessons, guitar lessons, computer stuff. Uh, anyway, we've um, we've been spending the last great few work. Growing, oh. uh, big part. Yeah, and you know what? If we get by with a little help from our friends, you know the Beatles say it best. I yep. totally believe that. It's it's just asking the right question, being able to ask that question many times to finally get the answer you need to help those that need a little help. And um, yeah. Then. Well, what made you passionate this way about it? Like you said, it's just a bunch of us sitting around at restaurants that started that, but this is something that uh, you have to have been this kind of individual and ready to jump in at any time throughout your life. Uh, what, what, what makes you that person? Well, um, I'm a twin and I'm an athlete and I'm a coach. I've been coaching for many years, cheerleading track, basketball. I have three kids. I have a husband. And I just believe that if people can help us do one little 1% better every time we do something, then we can do better. And, and that's in health too. And I, I've been a healthcare worker forever in uh, anything, orthopedics, ophthalmology, uh, gerontology, gynecology, open heart surgery, ICU medicine, vascular surgery. I taught vascular surgery. I've done a lot. And I just find that um, when people know better, they can do better. Mm -hmm. Or when they have choices, when you have an opportunity or when I can see, and I don't mean literally see, I just mean when I can experience opportunities that may not be what I already know that may open up things to me, then I think if I can help someone see something a little differently and have a better life because of it, I will absolutely help. And that's been me forever. So I'd say probably nursing. It's just been my heart. I, mm. I see pain, I see limitation, and I just want to help people do better. Right. And I've had a lot of struggles in my life too, including I was um, visually impaired for almost three months this year. I, I got a little diabetes with COVID and um, it affected my sight for three months. We really didn't know what was going on. And I thought, wow, isn't that funny how the world, how energy brings things to you? I've been helping with the CNIB for five years just because I love a girlfriend who lives next door to the CNIB camp. And I'm like, yeah, let's, let's do something. I can throw a big party. And then, you know, you meet people. I have Mark from uh, Team Hockey, Team Canada Hockey, the blind hockey group. I met him at a conference in Florida a few years ago. And, you know, that's how it spins out. Now, all of a sudden, I need some help. Who do I go to? I can call my connections. Hey. Right? It's yeah. just staying connected. And actually, and I think working, believing that it's more than just us out here. Yeah. And that's how this group too, Canadians Care, when my sister, I have a twin, and Tammy owns a business called Orbit Group Partners, and one of her employees, Rem, called, sent an email out to everyone when Russia invaded Ukraine. He's Polish. And he asked for the whole team to empty their medicine boxes, and he would get on a plane and fly it to uh, Poland and then hopefully get it into Ukraine, to Warsaw. That, that was his plan. But of course it's not the way things worked. Mm. And so Tammy called me and said, let's just see if Tracy can help. And then, so this is what happens. 
we were really busy for about four or five months with Canada Care, like Canadians Care, our collective fund went before uh, the restaurants were getting help. And then it goes quiet because everybody was getting their needs. All the restaurants were closed. You could only do takeout. So we weren't worried about anybody going down. So we just, you know, kept our little pot open, our fund open and said, we'll reignite it when it needs to be brought back in again. And this was the motivation. So I picked up the phone, called a few friends, called the Rotary Club, said, hey, if I do this again, can you, if people are going to donate some money, can you give them, um, uh, what do you give you when yeah. you, uh, donation receipts? Can, yeah, can you, can you get some tax receipts? And I yes, love that, you know, you're not just using your own connections, but you're using connections of other not-for-profits, of other organizations that are doing similar incredible things. Tracy, we got to let you go. Thank you so much for joining us and for sharing. You're a wonderful storyteller. Oh, oh yes. I'm so sorry we didn't get to the end, but <laughs> okay. you, you can definitely, um, please help us help others. 20, uh, over 100 million is going uh, next, this, the end of this month. Uh, to Amazing. Ukraine. Get those ORs going awesome. and help everybody. We'll get um, you back on, Tracy. Thank you so much. Bye. Tracy bye. Burton is uh, joining us from Canadians Care. Fantastic, folks. We'll step aside. We'll be right back with more. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. When you're checking out the podcast, the second half of it, you know, of course, you want to listen to all of it, so subscribe using your favorite podcatcher, and if you don't mind, give us a rating and review. We'd appreciate it. But we also include an audio vanity card contributed by one of the members of the team. So do check it out, see what we're saying, and that's on the Kelly and Rumya podcast. Subscribe now when you get a chance to. If you're already subscribed, of course, uh, the Kelly and Company will switch right over and has to Kelly and Rumya. Well, I think, Ramya, today some of the theme of the program is some good medical conversation. So we're going to get to our next guest on the program, one of our regular contributors, Leslie DePaul. Let's bring her on. I'm Leslie DePaul, registered nurse, and there's nothing I love more than helping folks learn about their own health so they can be a better advocate for themselves and those around them. Join me for your health check-in where we chat all things health and wellness and even a little bit of science from time to time. Of course, Leslie, welcome back to the show. We've got a lot to get into, so we welcome you aboard. Thank you, thank you. Happy New Year. Happy yes, New the Year. same to you. We've, of course, been weighing out how long we're allowed to say that, but, you know, but it's if, never you know, you too late. You initiate it. That's not on us. I think month of January, you guys, come on. we got to go easy on ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, it's wonderful to have you back with us. Thanks very much. Um, and today we're going to talk about some new changes to the Ontario healthcare delivery system. Uh, and specifically, that's with regards to virtual care and accessibility. Uh, the pandemic brought a lot of changes in healthcare, uh, most out of necessity. It highlighted some cracks, it highlighted some chasms in the system, but it also showed our resiliency and our ability to pivot and adapt and react and aim for an ever moving target. And when family doctors weren't able to see patients in person and 
and when emergency rooms were just a breeding ground for viruses, not saying they're not right now, uh, the concept of virtual care got this huge boost in our community here in Ontario. And then December of last year, our province announced a change to the pay structure being offered to docs who take on that kind of work. And as a result, thousands of patients are finding themselves at a loss of options in terms of care. So the real big question here is now what do we do? Mm-hmm. And let's get into this because it's very important, affects every one of us. Should we start, though, as usual, with a definition? Does everyone know what virtual care means? Yeah, that's a really great point because there's so many different ways it's been modeled. I mean, essentially, virtual care is referring to care that is not done in the in sort of what we picture as the typical setting, right? An in-person physical assessment with a practitioner and with a patient. But the truth is virtual care is not new in this province. We've been offering this type of model of care for a long time. It's exceptionally helpful for remote communities uh, where they have a, a really hard time recruiting and keeping physicians in those communities. So they would have folks fly in for certain amounts of time, then they would have them available uh, via remote chat, whether that's online, like we're doing now, kind of a Zoom call, whether that's over the phone. Um, so that is, the concept of that is not new. The Ontario um, Telehealth Network has been around for forever, and that's an arm's length from the government as well. Um, The real change I think that we saw during the pandemic was family doctors offering this as part of your normal family doctor visit. Usually if you called and you had a sore throat or your kids got a cold or you think you've got some stomach pain, that was 100%. You're going to find the time in your working day and you're going to get to the doctor's office and you will be seen in person. That's the thing we really started to see a shift in. And then the other big thing that changed were were companies like Rocket Doctor. I don't know if you heard of, that seems to be the one I I took a a informal poll. That seems to be the most popular one people are aware of, where, where a lot of family physicians would sign up to be a part of this program. They were still being paid through OHIP. That was, I mean, it's still a government funded um, service. So, you know, you're not paying out of pocket for that physician, but essentially they were, they were signing up to be a part of this organization, which in turn meant that people that were not rostered with a family physician, so did not have a regular family physician they went to see, could call Rocket Doctor, a lot of the time same day, and be able to speak to a physician. And normally that was done, like I said, over the phone or video chat. So those were those were two huge things we saw change. Then I they're kind of put a little asterisk next to this is you are starting to see this, um, and it's kind of an interesting one. I feel like we need a whole other day and a whole other topic for it, but this pay for pay for pay for service or fee for service model, um, which has got a lot of loopholes in terms of how it's how it's being managed right now. But there are certain organizations out there where you pay, um, whether that's a monthly subscription fee, they'll call it, or you're saying that you're paying to get email communications, but what you're paying for is access to, um, to physicians. Um, and that's something that's very outside of the model of healthcare we have come to know in this province. Leslie, does everyone see virtual care, and we're seeing so many different options of it, as you highlighted, as a great thing? You know, I could so rant all day about why I think it's fantastic (laughs) and why I think it's not so great. So, I mean, we'll start with what I think the very obvious pros are, which is I think most people will tell you it's convenience Um, and convenience on two different levels. The folks that are having a really hard time finding a family physician, folks that are in a remote location where they just don't they don't attract the same number of physicians to come and move to that community. This is a massive, massive pro. So whether it's the convenience of squeezing 
mixing it in between, you know, Pilates and picking up the kids and running a busy day-to-day life, that's huge. Um, a lot of folks are still working from home. So the fact that you could just kind of turn off your one screen and say, I have to go to the doctor for 10 minutes, turn on your other screen, go to the doctor, turn off your other screen and go back to work is, is a huge <laughs> advantage for folks. Um, and, 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 you know, another big thing too, I think people will tell you is there was a decreased wait time for a lot of these things. We were seeing, you know, the long gone were the waiting in the office for an hour before your appointment. It was like, boom, I logged on. It was five minutes. I was done. People really liked that. Um, and of course the accessibility piece, you know, what this is, again, I just want to highlight like this sort of came to fruition during the pandemic when we were at such a heightened sense of awareness of our own fragility in terms of health. Um, we were being hyper vigilant about, um, you know, um, prevention methods and taking care of ourselves. And so here was this way that you could go and get care, but you could still be keeping yourself safe. And then the actual accessibility, accessibility issue, folks that have a hard time getting around for whatever the reason may be, what a fantastic thing to be able to access care without having right. to leave your, your door. So a hundred percent, I think there's some huge, great pros to this. I'm going to say a couple cons, which I think some are obvious and some might not be, you know, some folks find this to be a lack of connection. You know, there is something inherently different about seeing somebody virtually than there is about being in the same room as somebody. Um, there is, there is a, you know, fee for surface a hundred percent. I, that is, riddled with cons because it's inherently financially discriminatory and essentially those who are already marginalized will continue to be so through a model like that. And then there's sort of the medical side of the cons to this, which is that there are certain things you are asking about, certain medical questions you have, certain assessments that need to be done that are best done in person. That is the process. There are medical, that's why we have research, that why, that's why we follow evidence-based approaches to medicine um, and to investigations, to diagnostics, to lab work. For and a great example, a friend of mine always uses is, you know, a stomach ache could be a stomach ache, it could be constipation, it could be appendicitis. Mm, and right. you don't know that until somebody actually puts hands on you and does a proper assessment. So I do think one of the cons to this is that it put a lot of onus, un not, I don't wanna say unnecessarily, but maybe unnoticed onus on the patient to have a deeper understanding than they should about the medical process. Right. How, why would you know, or why would you like, why would you be expected to know that there's such a differential in what that one pain could be? And how would you know, or why would you know the various means that have to be um, gone through in order to fully do, do a proper workup. And I think that led to some over-prescribing in some, uh, some areas, some under-treatment in others. Um, and I mean, the truth is too, there's a lot of trouble with the, the rocket doctor model, which is great again in a lot of ways, but if you don't have a family doctor, it's really not best that every time you go to see somebody, especially if you're dealing with chronic ongoing issues, prescriptions, um, diagnoses, every single time you see a different person, it is, it's wrought with uh, potential for error and mm. missed, missed information. Really, yeah. you need this all housed in one centralized human. That's what the GP is for. Um, and yes, you'll get referred out to special but all of the information comes back to one source and you're you're keeping it there. So absolutely, I mean, again, I could I could ramble on for days, but mm -hmm. you guys know that already. Uh, but well, there really are two, yeah. two really good sides to this. <laughs> yeah, and that's the whole thing when you look at the rocket doctor, when you look at it and, and you say, oh, all it takes is one mistake, one misdiagnosis, and we're going to blow it out of proportion because we know how telehealth and so on get concerned. Well, we're not really sure you need to go in to emerge and seek help. Well, now we're, we're really stuck on, hey, so many people without doctors are running to emerge, and then you, what do you do? That was 
pre-pandemic. Then we're all of a sudden diagnosing where someone say, oh, they're diagnosing me over the phone. So what will this mean for Ontarians who don't have a family doctor? Yeah, you know, honestly, it, this is a really hard place to be. Um, so there's yeah. a couple things. I mean, really what it means as best you can, and I know I'm kind of screaming into the abyss on this one, but you need to advocate for yourself and you get, need to get really serious about this. If you do not have a family doctor, there are massive shifts that are being uh, put into place in our healthcare system in this province. It is time for you to make this a priority. Um, and I have included a link that's going to be up on the blog for how you register in Ontario for a family doctor. There is a registry to go through this process you are triaged accordingly nurses will get your information they will decide based on your health history acute health concerns you know how quickly do we need to get you in front of somebody where can we get you in front of somebody it means to get on that wait list it means to start asking friends and family and pulling favors when you can sometimes there are new physicians that have just come into a practice folks don't know about them yet um, they haven't for whatever reason maybe their schedule doesn't line up with a lot in the community but it sure as heck lines up with yours um, that's a huge piece as well I know that physicians as a whole, I mean, the Ontario Medical Association has got their own stance on this, but even just speaking with some friends of mine um, that are physicians, you know, a lot of them are really working hard to see how they can still make this work. I mean, the trouble with the what they did with the pay structure, and, and maybe I should include this too, is you know, when you hear them, uh, them, uh, the news, the the, the physicians, uh, when you hear them saying, you know, this is an 80, 85% drop in my fee, it is if they do not have you rostered. Okay, so we're referring to the rocket doctor ones where it's like, I don't know you, I've never seen you, I'm going to see you this one time over the phone, and you're going to ask me to tell you whether or not you have strep throat, and I'm never going to see you again. Those are the ones whose fees got dropped 85%. You are rostered mm. with a family doctor, okay, and you have seen your family doctor in the last two years, they can offer you virtual care. Yes, they are taking a hit on that. No, they're not getting paid 100%, but I think it's something more like a 15% hit in terms of what they would they would make. And they can make that decision with you and still provide you with accurate care. So the bottom line to all of this means is you need to get a family doctor. Um, you need to know what you're using them for, annual uh, physical screenings, cancer, blood pressure, diabetes, management of ongoing chronic health issues. You need to know that walk-in and urgent center cares are there for you as well. Those are, you know, sore throat, strep throat, minor allergic reactions, a sprain, a strain. And you need to remember that as much as we're advocating you know, to think twice before walking into eMERGE departments all over the all over the province, they are still there for you. You pay for this yes. with your tax dollars. Yeah. You deserve to yeah. be there when you need them. That is chest pain, difficulty breathing, poisoning or drug overdose, severe allergic reactions, broken bones. Do not do not talk yourself out of not going to the appropriate care when you need mm. to. And ultimately, if you are still waiting in that queue, then you need to take care of yourself as best you can. And those are your other two options. Leslie, huge topic. Great. Thank you for, for covering this with us. We know we'll get into so much more next month when we talk to you. Take care of yourself. We'll talk to you then. You too. Leslie joins us once a month here on Kelly and Rumya. Next time, she's talking to good, the bad, and ugly on alcohol. We've got lots to say, it seems, on that one, and I know she will too. Coming up next... Recently, the Atlantic Province's Special uh, Atlantic, excuse me, the Atlantic Province Special Education Authority made the decision to permanently discontinue their short-term expanded core curriculum. Contributor Grant Hardy will share his thoughts in a moment. Stand by after the break. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute.
Well, we told you we'd give you some details here. When we launched Kelly and Ramya a little over a week ago, now I guess a week and a half ago, one of the fantastic things we were able to do is start a contest. Lots of people participating, wanting to get in on this, and you out there should too. So let's tell you a little bit about it, because you have till February the 8th to get on board. Enter now for a chance to win a Tempur-Pro adapted mattress. Tempur-Pedic mattresses are designed with one-of-a-kind Tempur-Pedic material to get you really settled in. It matches your weight, shape, and temperature offering unmatched support. Unbelievable. So for complete rules, if you want to enter into this contest, folks, go to ami.ca slash KR contest. There you can find out all the rules, what you need to do, and we remind you of that date to enter this uh, opportunity to win said mattress, folks. By February 8th, you have to be registered. Kelly McDonald here with Ramya Muthan. Well, we want to talk to our contributor, Grant Hardy, who is joining us back on the show um, as we fill some time here talking about some important and I think relatable subjects here. Okay, so recently the Atlantic uh, Provinces Special Authority Program, APA, I don't know if I said that right, just made the decision to permanently discontinue short-term programs which are considered essential by many. And throughout these programs, students learn to travel uh, where they go to campus to receive intensive trail um, training on all kinds of expanded core curriculum, orientation and mobility, cooking, social skills, compository skills for school, lots of stuff going on. So Grant, like I said, he's here to join us. He's on the West Coast in Vancouver and wanted to talk about not just the juris jurisdiction and the changes, but about the uh, perspectives that he has on the expanded core curriculum and how it's going to affect us you, me, everybody, people in the blind, low vision community, youth, adults, um, etc. So, Grant, let's talk about the skills first. So, what do you think is the most essential skill that this program would provide? Yeah. So, I, although it's very difficult to pick one skill that kind of reigns supreme in the expanded core curriculum in terms of importance, if I had to pick one, I would say orientation and mobility for several reasons. First of all, uh, I've had the opportunity to interview uh, some experts like Daniel Kish, and my understanding is that unfortunately, a minority of people in the community actually do end up mastering these skills, which is unfortunate and I think really comes down to, uh, frankly, the low expectations that society sometimes has, as well as the amount of time and funding for the specialized instruction uh, and the amount of time that's typically spent instructing you. And also, of course, the fact that people tend to lose their vision in later life, and that puts them at a, mm -hmm. a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, the frustrating thing is it's the kind of thing where some people are very comfortable with uh, it's safe to do if you do it correctly, but if you don't really know how to do it, there's very little room for error, uh, and I believe it takes quite some time to master. Uh, so that um, it, it's interesting. Yeah. It's really interesting because Grant, as you're talking, I had to stop and check myself here at the door and say, "Well, hold on a sec. Where did you learn your mobility? How did you become so a W. Ross McDonald School for the Blind? Makes sense. But what about, as you mentioned, someone later?" Maybe a CNIB situation, depending where they live, depending on the availability of, of, of someone to train them. But a young person 
maybe in a smaller place, maybe, you know, and there's always the reasons to not, you know, maybe you get rides everywhere. Maybe you're always going with somebody somewhere to not necessarily be, have that need. It's hard. Like you said, it takes time and learning how to travel, learning your skills is frightening. Yeah. And I think also, I mean, you raised several points there, but, you know, really, I think it's an unfortunate thing where if you're, you know, 12 years old, maybe navigating independently is not that important to you at the time because it's not like it's something that's going to really change your life at that time because how often, you know, are you really going to be sort of going, you know, commuting a couple hours on the the bus or or whatever, you know, people are kind of looking out for your safety, but as you get older, you want to go on dates, you want to go to work, you know, you want to go to school and, and, you know, it gets really difficult and embarrassing not to be able to do it. You know, it's funny because W. Ross McDonald, I, I, I've always sort of uh, grown up in the, you know, attending mainstream schools and stuff, but the older I've gotten, you can't deny there are definite advantages of going to a school for the blind, mm-hmm. even in and, this day and, and age. And there was a, a lot of time where people felt it was a disadvantage, but then you stop and look at so many things that people who have been to a school like W.S. McDonald School have that others don't. But Special let's talk skills. about your experience. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Let's talk mm-hmm. about some of the experiences you have learning the expanded core curriculum skills. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, my my expanded curriculum training, I I don't think that I realized that it was as low as it actually was, because again, it was not something that really affected my life. In fact, I used to walk to and from high school independently, because it was just through a park. Um, But you know, you tell people, oh, you walk to school independently, that sounds huge when you say it. But you know, my like my experience taking the bus in school, was sort of like, okay, we're going to drop you off at the first bus stop. You tell the bus driver where you want to get off. We'll pick you up at the spot where you're getting off. And hallelujah, congratulations, Mm -hmm. you took the bus. Mm -hmm. So my instruction was very limited, but I grew up thinking that I had the skills, which was really scary. And it took until well into my 20s, really, when I started to realize that I wasn't just stupid i actually was missing some important right skills and that is um very relatable grant i think the idea of thinking that you got this or like you know what it is what there is to know um or you know doesn't everybody do it this way just kind of experiment right <laughs> but it's mm. not true at all um you know the the equity of it is that we need People need different kinds of support. The support needs to be available. And sometimes that's the problem in and of itself, right? The availability of the support, the staff, the people. Because um, this is, in the bigger picture of things, kind of niche. And yeah. not everybody yeah. goes to school to become an orientation mobility instructor, uh, instructor or an ILS specialist or any of that. Sometimes I feel inequipped to comment on some of this being... You know, born in Montreal, raised in London, spending lots of time at W. Ross, and then my other time working in the biggest city in Canada. Mm-hmm. So mm. the, hey, uh, how do I learn this? Or where? Well, you go downtown. 
Well, it's, it's not like I'm in a rural, very northern community where I have to take a two-hour bus ride to get into Sudbury, let's say, to, you know, take a mobility lesson in a town that I'm not experienced to or have somebody once every few couple of months come see me and work with me for a day or two on computer skills or mobility. Yeah, it's true. You guys definitely have that advantage there. I mean, Vancouver is not exactly a small city, but I think in comparison to uh Ontario and especially Toronto, uh, you know, you guys definitely have a little bit more of those uh, those hands-on mm. services. Haves I, and have-nots a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I think another unfortunate skill is just that uh, you don't really realize how many opportunities you have as a kid until you get a little bit older because right. once you're an adult people just figure you get stuff and are not as patient when you mm -hmm. you know say that you know i need yeah. some help and sadly sometimes that falls to who advocates for you right like yep. because when you're a kid as you said in the time uh in the stage of life you're like i don't need to learn bro i don't need to use a white cane no i care more about fitting in with my teenage friends um but then you know, your your influences or the people who want to help you advocate, that can make a big difference on what you end up doing or not doing. How do you feel about the program being scrapped? Yeah, I mean, I'm just, uh, you know, again, outside the jurisdiction, so it doesn't affect me personally, but I'm, I'm frustrated for just several reasons. I think that, you know, our, I mean, on kind of a personal note, our community struggles with very low expectations already and i think having members of the community not have the opportunity to learn some of those skills unfortunately is going to contribute to that a little bit that, that's not their fault of course uh but more importantly i'm just frustrated for the people who are not going to have the opportunity to to learn uh those skills i don't think that uh this is usually not malice or anything like that it could be internal politics and stuff like that but sometimes it's just a question of funding and resources uh but it's a little bit unfortunate i think our society is very reactive like we're good at sort of fixing problems when problems come up sometimes we are anyway uh, but we're not as good at, at building those foundational skills and mobility is one skill that can be put off for years and years yep. with very little outward effect you're still going through school and getting a's or b's whatever uh but there's a point where it's gonna come back to bite you it's yeah you're on your own too the it the more you put it off the harder it is later yeah, yeah uh, when you yeah, also exactly. talk about being younger and i think of the full circle that happens, you know, when I was in high school, I spoke to guidance counselors about post-secondary, they really didn't know how to talk to me about it. It was great. Oh, you're in the mainstream, you're close to home, that's wonderful. But it wasn't curtailed to my needs. The guidance counselors kind of taught to me the same way they would the others. And there's just those little nuggets of information, those relatability moments that you, you just aren't getting unless you're working with someone mentoring you or helping you, guiding you. 
that that walks at least a little bit in your shoes or has been alongside people who have made that walk. So now you got extra things such as these core curricular, as we recognize these need to be there. They're, they're vital components. And it's almost like when things start moving along well, students are going out, they work it into this, the curriculum that they can go out, learn mobility, that people are comfortable working with them in home ec or whatever it's called now. Um, then all of a sudden you don't hear as much because it's mundane, regular, and little things get cut because people aren't necessarily getting up there saying this and every year reminding the school boards the how wonderful this is, how effective this has been for them. Yes, that's certainly true. And what It's not an a squeaky wheel anymore, Grant. That yes, I think that's that's absolutely true. And I think it's easy to get into this uh, era of kind of complacency too, when where mm. you know again we're just so used. To, I'm kind of used to not having these skills anyway. Mm. Uh, what a great point you made too about you know career development and and that sort of thing because I think all too often you know people with really great intentions are are good at sort of either like. Uh, you know, giving you kind of the same spiel they would give in the mainstream or on the alternative, like, okay, here are the top five sort of careers that you should do because these are the stereotypical careers that yeah. this is what know, the stats have. And, you know, it's important to have that knowledge. Absolutely. But I think it's also important to be able to reach for the stars. And if you want to be on TV, like you guys are, or if you want to be in, you know, researching, space science or environmental science or you know work with computers whatever you want to do you know there should be a way to really reach for the stars mm -hmm. yeah i know and when you think about the things like this that could hold us back it's very very concerning where can people reach out for more support for additional information yeah so i think it's going to depend on uh location i know there's a course in uh Oh, that's not coming to my tongue right now, but leader dogs. Uh, oh, why can't I think where oh, that out is? Oh, Michigan. Out in Michigan? Thank you. Oh, my gosh, yes. Uh, and they have a week-long intensive mobility course. Even if you're not uh, looking at getting a guide dog, I'm actually thinking of taking this course myself. Uh, there's the Pacific Training Center for the Blind. You can Google that. There's always the CNIB. I know they have some good services. Uh, really push them. There, It's always great if you have a specific destination that you want to go to or a specific thing you want to learn how to make in the kitchen. That kind of helps you get your feet in the doors. Uh, those are just some of my ideas, unless you guys have any uh, further ideas. I, I think... Lighthouse as well for yes. those who may want that journey oh, yes. to go somewhere you don't know and to push yourself to go somewhere that you don't know. Maybe for that experience, maybe that's what helps you with the courage piece because I think a lot of us just haven't, don't get that opportunity where we feel we're pushed. We don't have to go out on the limb. I'm not saying endanger yourself. I'm saying have the sweat of, I, I really don't know where I'm going here. I'm Where's the person? I guess I'm on my own when it comes to traveling, let's say. But Lighthouse out in San Francisco, um, in they Ohio, have courses that you go out yeah. there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Chicago, sorry. There's There are a lot of programs where it's similar. I think of the, the guide dog schools, right? Like intensive training. Uh, for several weeks or months and you go in and you learn all these skills and I think there can be so much excitement um, 
with that, you know, with wanting to take that yeah. step because you... And you don't have to be wanting a dog, right? Like it, right, you know, right. I'm talking about just like folks. ILS, yeah, yeah. and yeah. Uh, and orientation and mobility. But I think that you know we've pointed out a lot of fears, a lot of concerns in this, and really, like at the bottom line is, if you feel confident when you can get to that point, it's so amazing. Like the the feeling of being able to, you know, we've had many contributors on this show talk about that first time they stepped out and were able to do the block around their house using their white cane or using their guide dog. And the empowerment that lends to you is so um, powerful. Totally. We've done a lot of those conversations, Grant, with our back to basics with people who are new to disability. When we've had those segments or those weeks on the program where we've had people speak from their heart about it. Uh, Sorry, Grant, go ahead. Yeah, no, and and I absolutely agree with you. That's super important. I also think it's important to not discount yourself as like, oh, I yeah, I wouldn't qualify. I shouldn't do this mm-hmm. because I'm not new to disability. Like there are some people who you know probably have lived like me for several years who go to one of these programs and like Ramia said, it ends up being life changing. Like yeah. oh my gosh, yeah. I I never knew that things could be this easy and this magical. So and kind of, liberating. Yeah. Yeah, yes. liberating, exactly. Make you feel safer. So that's definitely my New Year's resolution uh, this year is to brush up a little bit on my skills. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we wish you the best. And thank you for sharing not just your <laughs> uh, personal experience, but all the info around this situation. Talk to you soon. All right. Cheers. Kelly and Company contributor Grant Hardy joining us to share his thoughts on the situation in Atlantic Canada, uh, talking about less of this expanded core curriculum for blind and low vision students. Really concerning stuff. Oh, man, you got to have these. These are great. So many people will testify how wonderful, how life-changing they've been. So uh, I hope they, they get that together and the value is there. People know it. And as long as people share and they, they get that realization. We're going to wrap up our show and take a look ahead after this upcoming break. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Well, we're working your way through your Wednesday, ladies and gentlemen, which simply means halfway through the week. I know that's what you want to hear more than anything, Ramya Muthan. She's at the studio in Toronto for at AMI Main Campus. I'm here in London, Ontario at the home studio. We want to remind you to check out the Kelly and uh, Ramya podcast. If you're already subscribed to the Kelly and Company podcast, it would have changed over by now. But please look for us. Give us a rating and review. Check out the show and uh, check out the audio vanity card at the end of the second half of uh, for hour two the second half of the podcast posting Ramya um, a book mm-hmm. a book not no just book. any old book but our book of the month or in this case book of the two months yes <laughs> since we announced it you want to remind people what it is and give us a little bit of highlight and and when people can join us to discuss of course I'm always here to uh, promote some more audiobook listening so the book we're listening to this month is misery by Stephen King classic because it was released in 2002 and it was recommended to us by Jacob Shimansky who's going to join us on the discussion at the end of the month but this is available in human narrated audio on Sela Kelly's reading that version it's also available on audible and I'm reading that version I feel like we're gonna have some care comparisons going on Kels. But let me tell you a little bit about it. Misery Chastain was dead. Paul Sheldon had just killed her with relief, with joy. 
Misery had made him rich. She was the heroine of a string of bestsellers, and now he wanted to get onto some real writing. That's when the car accident happened, and he woke up in pain in a strange bed, but it wasn't the hospital. Annie Wilkes had pulled him from the wreckage and uh, brought him to her remote mountain home, splinted and set his mangled legs. But the good news is that Annie was a nurse and has painkilling drugs. The bad news mm. was that she was Paul's number one fan. And when she found out what Paul had done to Misery, she didn't like it. She mm -mm. didn't like it She was all. mad. Very mad. Whoa. So we are talking about this book on Kelly and Ramia, the last Tuesday of the month, which is January 31st, and I'm looking forward to it. Really great. It's going to be fun. Please uh, read along with us. Get there for the discussion, folks. Nine o'clock in the morning, they arrive on AMI-TV, the gang over there now at Dave Brown. Here to tell us a little bit about tomorrow's show, Paul Daniel joins us. Good day, sir. What do you guys hey, have Kelly. on tap? Welcome back. Oh, thank you, Kelly. I didn't know I went somewhere, but, but okay, of but course. I'm here. Okay, <laughs> tomorrow, tomorrow's show, disability advocate David Lepofsky joins us tomorrow to offer his recollections of uh, David Arling and his legacy. Uh, and it's quite a big one, Kelly, as we, we can all agree on oh, that. Oh, for sure. Yeah, man. Sean Priest from Double Tap will tell us about Biped, a new type of wearable technology that helps people with vision loss navigate independently. And many of us, Kelly, are getting mixed messages on the economy with some good numbers and then bad numbers. Financial planner uh, Ryan Chin will help sort out what all these numbers really mean. Mm. That's fantastic. That is really great. G glad to hear that. Good topic there with Ryan. And I've got to say, Paul, as uh, Danielle McLaughlin and I had a few moments uh, to talk about uh, uh, David Onley on Monday and, you know, for me, recalling uh, a few of the times that I've sat, interviewed him and just encountered him at different events uh, during my, particularly my TV days. And one of the things I said, what a listener. The man mm. talked, was so elegant when he spoke, but Paul an amazing listener, wasn't he? Absolutely, great, uh, uh, an all-around great communicator. And, you know, listening is an important part of uh, communication as is uh, speaking, and he was really good at that. When you spoke to him, you got the real impression and sincere impression that he was listening to everything you had to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was truly interested. Pal, thanks mm -hmm. a lot, good luck with the show tomorrow. Thanks, Kelly, take care. Oh, uh, Paul, also, uh, don't go anywhere. Oh, okay. Just, I won't go anywhere. Yeah, I'll stay right stay here. Right there. Just stay right there. <laughs> Paul Daniel, one of the producers over there at Now at Dave Brown, and their show, 9 o'clock in the morning, available Eastern Time here on AMI. You can also find them available as a podcast and subscribe, just as you would to our show. Please give them a rating and review as well. Uh, tomorrow, audio and entertainment and tech contributor Mike Fair is going to be telling us about an audio book that uh, provides us some amazing information and fun and accessible trivia. Some people like that. Ramya? I do. Mary Mamalidia, she's joining us weekly now. She's trying this new thing, giving us the trend, the food trend of the week. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be wonderful. Always fun for us to get a chance to talk food and entertainment. And you know it, folks. It's Kelly and Ramya, so so much more on the show. We're waving at you. Have a wonderful night. Talk to you tomorrow. One of the things that Rummy and I had decided when we started doing the, the show for television is we need to always remember that audience that isn't familiar to us. 
which means they're not familiar to our contributors or community reporters and the style of the show and the subjects we cover. No problem. Just introduce them. Well, it's keeping that in mind because we start chatting with everyone and it's old home week. We don't have that issue of, oh, welcome to the show. It's a new time. The most we have is Happy New Year. And that has, I found sometimes, been a bit tricky. Now, you might say, yeah, but when you were just an audio show, didn't you keep in mind there could be new listeners every day? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And we think we addressed that. Do we think we needed to go a little further? Do we also note, and I'm sure some of you have, that why are these guys giving their description they never did before? Well, as you know, with AMI-TV, we try very hard to make sure we're so inclusive and cover all the different areas that we need to be responsible and do, such as description uh, with the embedded uh, description that we, we plan to have as much as necessary in the show. And we want to be able to do show and tell and make sure those descriptions are there. And at times that includes us making sure that people know uh, that uh, Ramya is Tamil and that I am a black Canadian. Um. Does it matter to most people? Sure not. Does it matter to people about my blue shirt or whatever it might be? Maybe the fedoras might edge out some of the stuff, maybe. <laughs> but for the most part, no. Same with our background, no. But we want to be sure you have the information out there sometimes that you may want or somebody new joining the show may say, who is this guy? Who is this lady? What are they? What are they like? And want those pictures. We have been told that people are curious of different things and do love the description and the fact that we do go all over the place with our subjects. This is stuff that has, has come back to us from our marketing people over the years of doing the talk show. They get curious. Who's low vision? Who's blind? And that's, I don't think, if, if I'm invested in the show or going to be, there are little things I'd like to know that so many other people can just look at the screen and they can figure out. Though now with that television component, we have to think about it. To those of you who've been hanging out here listening to the podcast, I, I know a lot of it doesn't really matter, but I'm sure some of you are saying, oh, I didn't know. I, I get it often with low vision or blind people who say to me, oh, I didn't know you were black. And they don't mean any offense or it's not a problem for them. They're just surprised because, of course, we know our typical, maybe someone's from the islands or our, our uh, you, you know, American friends who sound what we consider in Canada here. Uh, more black and you can usually pick out oh that's a black person doesn't mean because you notice it there's anything wrong with that um, I get very curious of what people are wearing I'm I've become more of a person interested in oh I wonder if they're wearing a suit here or I wonder if they're wearing a sport coat or are they you know and I only really mean it because of my interest in media and on-air presentation so we are trying to remember to mention hey this person's back next week or monthly on the show they talk about this subject and that subject um, and that's that in itself seems hey well of course you're describing them when they come on we have our little doorbell that introduces them but yet we just feel we need to go that little step further as we're trying to get used to this so thanks for being patient with us as we move along into this new chapter the walrus is canada's conversation and you're invited to take part Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.